What crisis communication best practices can you learn from how the Department of Defense trains public affairs officers to provide information about a crisis? I'm Edward Siegel, author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. My guest today on the Crisis Ahead podcast is Army Major Stephen Von Jett. Major Von Jett is a public affairs instructor at the Pentagon's Defense Information School. He'll share with us his experience dealing with a crisis, and he'll tell us what we can learn from what military officers are taught on how to communicate about crisis situations. Welcome to the show, Major. Thank you for having me, sir. Tell us about the purpose and activities of the school. We train and educate communication professionals for service in the Department of Defense and with its partners. Established in 1964, today the Defense Information School trains over 2,600 students annually in 19 different courses. From mass communication foundations to the Joint Contingency Public Affairs course, we offer the right-sized, modern, accredited, rigorous courseware required to prepare our warfighters to use the principles of information to keep our nation safe and secure. Here at DINFOS, we're doing all this by taking care of people to make this an awesome team. What kind of crisis communication training does the Defense Information School provide to officers in the different branches of the armed services? Well, the nice thing about DINFOS here is that we're a joint endeavor. The training that a U.S. Army soldier gets is the same as a Marine, is the same as a soldier, and so on down the line. Our classrooms are a kaleidoscope of uniforms including international partners with civilian attire, as well as from DOD and other federal agencies. So to your question about what crisis communication training do our senior enlisted and junior to mid-grade officers receive when they come through for training, it starts with issues analysis, learning to assess the information environment, to identify what's on the horizon, and how to properly classify and communicate it to the organization. Is this situation an issue, emergency, disaster, or crisis? Who else needs to know who all is affected, and do we have the authority to speak on this? From there, the students progress to learning about various thinking models, such as the Kinevin sense-making framework. Uh, they learn about stumbling backwards off that Kinevin cliff, uh, moving from the obvious through the complicated to the chaotic, where they learn that novel practices are required, and they have to act first, and then sense and respond. They learn that most commanders, they sense the world as VUCA, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and that they have to help their leaders shift their perceptive framework to better understand and that the success conditions surrounding crisis response aren't built that way. They learn how to respond in a crisis, create communication plans, prepare and rehearse their senior leaders for media engagements, and then they get to rehearse those activities in a two-week culminating military exercise that's rigorous, and the students have a lot of fun doing it. We have a lot of fun putting them through their paces. It's a wild time. Well, after they graduate, how have the students uh, put their training to use in the field? Well, so you'd be hard-pressed to name an issue, emergency, disaster within Department of, of Defense within the last 55 years that hasn't had a DINFOS graduate working lead on the response. And where crisis communication hasn't been especially uh, well off, we've often found in the after-action reviews on that that there was a distinct lack of DINFOS graduates at the epicenter of that response. Our graduates go on to respond to bombings, mass shootings, crashes, natural disasters, 
lack of public trust incidents, and harrowing loss of life, sometimes within days or weeks of graduating the course. One example of that is my teammate here, Gary Boucher. Uh, two weeks after graduating Denfos, he was in Kuwait establishing the media desk for Operation Inherent Resolve, combating disinformation from ISIS as a lead spokesperson for our operations there. Our graduates use their training to preserve the public trust, to communicate with maximum disclosure and minimum delay, to prepare their senior leaders to speak earnestly and honestly about terrible circumstances while clearly and quickly explaining the next steps. The vast majority of our PAOs, when you talk to them about crisis, they talk about crisis averted. Part of its perception, as warfighting organizations, we deal with risk differently than most organizations, risk to mission, risk to our personnel, risk to public trust. We have to align steep risk in our mission and even our training, and that can skew our outlook somewhat on that. To what extent uh, does media training play in ensuring that the spokespersons uh, know how to talk to news organizations? Media training couldn't be more vital, and it should be done early and often before a crisis is ever on the horizons. Leaders, military or CEOs, are people. and They get nervous. They're introverts and extroverts. They need assurance and coaching. Interviews are high-intensity emotional events. And even if you're experienced, even if you've done this a hundred times, that camera lens can be cold and unforgiving. For our students, I personally think media prep is one of the most important skills that they come away with. They learn how to not only take a leader through media training, so important on its own, but how to create the prep kit, the briefing card, the reporter bio, the media kit, the whole deal. Then they learn how to choreograph those key details of the interview, how to get the principal comfortable, who sits where, who answers the call, who ends the interview, how to make an opening and closing statement, how to answer questions. Then we get to the rehearsals. We don't softball our rehearsals. We call them murder boards. Why is that? Well, we ask the questions that we know we want to get, sure, but we ask the questions that we for sure don't want to get because these are the questions that we don't have good answers for. And we don't ask them once, we ask them again and again until we understand that we have that message and that talking point put together and that effective response that's going to get that answer that our stakeholders will accept. It's not about what the media wants to hear, it's about what the people who care about our organizations and have an interest in our organizations need to hear. When I was an infantry officer, I didn't send my troops out of the wire unprepared. We did a ramp brief. We rehearsed the mission. We planned the operation. As a PAO, I operationalize public affairs. I make routine things happen routinely for every engagement. So when there's a crisis, my commanders know what to expect from media prep. They're comfortable with me. So we can operate at the speed of trust to communicate with maximum disclosure and minimum delay so we can take it from hours to minutes because minutes matter. Major, are there any parallels between the media training that your officers receive and the training that those in the federal government and the private sector should receive before they deal with the media uh, in a crisis situation? Absolutely. The training that our service members receive and the training that the rest of the federal government receives and those out in the corporate world receive really is in lockstep. The way that we operationalize matches what those in the corporate world uh, are doing because we're taking best practices from uh, academia, we're taking best practices from industry, 
but we're also advancing on those. We're also creating new best practices and we're sharing those out. Uh, right now, uh, some of the tools that we're using are being used by universities, by colleges, uh, by practitioners right now through one of our systems, Pavilion, uh, that uh, we might have an opportunity to talk, talk about a little bit later. Uh, so these things are being shared uh, because uh, a crisis for us and a crisis for someone in industry, it gets down to what do the stakeholders care about? What are their interests? There's no big difference between a crisis for the military and a crisis for industry and a crisis for a different branch of the federal government. This is a question of, is it internal or is it external? Is it a question of, did we lose a public trust or is there some big event on the horizon? And that's the same no matter where you are. And so we need to have similar tools to address those and we can share those things. And we have great systems to do that. And we're continuing to develop those here at Denfos. And the way that we're doing that uh, through rigorous practice, through uh, sharing what we're doing, through developing uh, talking points, through our environmental scanning, through rehearsals early and often and talking about systems management and getting out there with uh, getting your co uh, commanders and CEOs comfortable uh, with media engagements early and often uh, is the way you get after those things. So when a crisis does appear, it's not new. It's routine things done routinely. And that's how we recommend getting after these things. Of course, I understand your own background, your own training, your own expertise in crisis communications. It's not uh, theoretical. Uh, you've actually been on the front line of some uh, crisis situations yourself. Uh, can you share with us uh, some stories of uh, your involvement in crises that uh, the public might be familiar with? Uh, I, I certainly can. I was uh, with Joint Task Force National Capital Region as the public affairs operations planner. Uh, from the start of COVID shutdown uh, through President Biden's inauguration. I'll share briefly about September of 2020 and some events related to the federal response to the George Floyd protests in D.C. earlier that summer. A service member under the Whistleblower Protection Act spoke to Congress in the public interest and provided an email from our task force. That email from late May was from a military police planner listing a long list of equipment, asking what all was on hand so the task force could account for capabilities in the planning. Two of the items on that list were a long-range acoustic device and an active denial system, commonly called a um, sound cannon and a pain ray. Uh, the email was understood by the reader to be looking for those items for use against American citizens whereas the intent of the email was to account for all the equipment because the last thing that the task force wanted was for there to be a pain ray in the potential joint area of operations that the task force might have to take over and for them to be unaware of that. So the subsequent media response uh, had media queries bouncing between inboxes and some high-level discussion about release authority. Uh, by the time we were authorized to speak on the issue, it was already old in the news cycle. It was trending 90% negative with 100-plus placements. We went to work. We already had our ducks in a row. We worked our communication plan for nearly 24 hours, calling every reporter and editor that would answer to get our statement above the fold. We weren't talking about corrections. We were talking about top-line updates. We explained. We were nice. We made friends. We got the job done. By the next morning, we had bent the curve from 90% negative to 80% neutral 
in 280 placements, and we were dead on our feet, but we had shifted public sentiment from red to neutral. That's not a win. That's a come-from-behind draw, but I had never been so happy because in a crisis of public trust, you have to stop the bleeding. And once you do that, you can start building back, and that's what we did. In layman language, can you give us a little bit more insight into what those uh, two uh, two weapons that were being held in reserve or inventory, what were they capable of doing? Well, so these two pieces of equipment, uh, they're, they're not weapons. Uh, these are uh, non-lethal. Uh, one of them emits a loud sound uh, that's uh, capable of uh, projecting information, but it's also loud enough to where people just want to get away from it. Uh, the other one uh, uses uh, microwave radiation uh, to uh, make you uh, feel as if your skin is very hot and so you want to get away from it, but it doesn't actually burn you in any way. It just makes you feel that way. Uh, so they're both non-lethal, uh, but it's uh, not something certainly uh, that we would want to uh, use on American citizens or have the perception of doing so. And that's why the whistleblower uh, uh, understandably uh, took that up. And it was just a, uh, you know, emails, it's hard to uh, carry intent. I'm sure we've all received a text message where we uh, took it the wrong way. And this was unfortunately a case of uh, message received was not message delivered. Well, thanks for that uh, important clarification. Uh, you mentioned earlier Pavilion. Uh, I understand that, that is an online training tool that uh, students and graduates of the school can use to help uh, sharpen their crisis communication skills. Um, how does that actually work? Absolutely. Yeah. So for many of our uh, students here, they only get one pass through DENFOS. Uh, and then they're uh, out in the field as what we like to call DENFOS trained killers. Uh, there's very few who get to come back in and go through our advanced courses to kind of refresh uh, their skills here in the halls that forged them. Uh, for the rest, we've created uh, what we uh, like to call our shelter here, our pavilion, where they can kind of sharpen the axe. And that's uh, reached through pavilion.denfos.edu, where they can get the uh, resources and, and support they need to meet their commander's communication requirements. And I get it. These skills are uh, perishable. And if it's been a while since they've had anything to do with a media or crisis communication, they're going to have to knock that rust off. Service members can go on our website. They can get the resources to not only get those rusty neurons firing, but to get up to date on doctrine, to get best practices from the fleet and field and industry and everything else that's going on in public affairs and get back in the game. It's a fantastic resource for them. Can you give us a sense of the exercises and simulations uh, that officers can use on using uh, Pavilion? Absolutely. Pavilion offers dynamic, interactive crisis training simulations with multiple learning outcomes. We have two crisis simulations. The first is called Whatever You Do, Don't Panic. <laughs> it's a hurricane-based disaster response simulator. Uh, think of this as like an external event. The second's called Keep Your Cool When Things Heat Up. Uh, that one's a plane crash event providing a more internal event uh, scenario. Between the two, there's actually six embedded fully developed training scenarios with unique questions and resource sets. Once you finish, Pavilion provides additional resources and knowledge checks to advance learning. Additionally, we have three more educational exercises that are based on advising senior leaders, choosing the right social media platforms for your content, and principles of design, providing six more nested exercises between them. Although there are technical aspects of, uh, of the training through Pavilion, 
Um, is it possible for civilians uh, to use a platform to sharpen their own crisis communication skills? Sir, that's actually the best part of this. Pavilion.denfos.edu is open to anyone. There's no paywall. There's no credentials. There's no login. The same crisis training tools and scenarios that we just discussed are available to you as they are to me. Not only that, Pavilion has over 400 training resources across broadcast, visual information, and public affairs disciplines. There's case studies, articles, 40-plus checklists, 50-plus interactive modules, 60 templates. Old stuff doesn't stay up. We are always updating. We are always keeping it fresh. This is highly curated, professional content. I'm one of the curators. Uh, I just learned from our administration, I mentioned earlier, some universities and colleges are piping in and using this stuff uh, in their classes. This is fantastic content, and we are uh, super proud of this site. It is uh, there. It's available. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, give us the uh, website address again for the site. That is uh, absolutely. That is pavilion.denfos.edu. Uh, well, the big picture is uh, what can others in the private sector and uh, the government sector uh, learn from the Defense Information School about responding to a crisis and uh, communicating about a crisis? First and foremost, if you are waiting until you're in a crisis to begin discussing crisis response, you're too late. Start now. Crisis response needs to be done when the skies are clear and the waters are calm. It starts early with establishing a crisis action plan and a release authority matrix for public information. And if you don't know what those things are or you don't know how they should look, you can head to Pavilion. We have examples. You need to know what you're going to say before you say it. You need to rehearse media engagements and not just the big media engagements. Rehearse the low threat stuff. Get in the habit of rehearsals. Uh, we like to call the uh, uh, the details of this the, the wedding planner details because planning a wedding is terrible, right? It's no one likes to, uh, God bless wedding planner details uh, and the people that do this stuff. But get in the habit of planning down to the smallest detail, right? Who's going to pick up the phone? Uh, where's the principal going to sit? Where am I going to sit? Who's going to get the door? Who's going to set ground rules? Who's going to do all this? Because if you get everyone comfortable, then people are comfortable, then people do a better job. Start explaining how we answer questions, how we give statements, why we give them the way we give them. Get your principals comfortable. Leaders, CEOs, planners, if you have a communication team, and you should, use them. Let them work. Communicators, if you don't know how to do this stuff, head to Pavilion, figure it out, and start earning your keep. The tools are there for you. The waters will sweep you away. Don't go in without the proper tools. It sounds like Pavilion is a great tool, but do you think it should be used by everyone in an organization, or is it a top-only or bottom-only uh, approach to dealing with a crisis? My opinion is that everyone in your organization is a spokesperson. So whenever somebody walks out that door and they get encountered and they have an opportunity to talk to anybody on the street about the organization, they are shaping opinions, knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors about what people think. And you don't know who they're going to be talking to. They might run into the most important stakeholder that you've ever met. So every single person in your organization, from the mailroom clerk to the CEO, is an influential communicator for your organization. 
And so you need to have everyone in that organization at some level equipped to speak on behalf of your organization. Not everybody needs to be on the communication team, but everybody at least needs to be equipped with some basic knowledge and ready to speak. So even friends and families can be a potential audience for crisis communications, correct? You never know who's, who's going to know about a crisis, who's going to repeat it, and who should know about it, whether you're in the chain of command or uh, you're at the, uh, uh, the bottom of the organizational chart. Is that right? Friends and family are absolutely crucial uh, stakeholders and key publics for our organizations. Uh, if you want to have a healthy workforce, uh, you need healthy, happy families because otherwise your people are going to be leaving in droves uh, and you need to be communicating uh, with these people and have an organizational plan to do so. Well, I'm afraid we're almost out of time, Major. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us uh, before we end today? Absolutely. For our federal partners out there, if you're listening to this and wondering how you too can get the, that DENFOS magic, uh, head over to pavilion.denfos.edu, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. There's a gold button that says request an MTT. That's a mobile training team. If you can't come to us, we'll come to you. And if we can't do either, we'll do it virtually. Um, other than that, uh, sir, this has been an amazing experience, and it's been an honor and absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my passion for this schoolhouse and my profession today. And if anyone's interested in reaching out to me directly, my LinkedIn is in slash Stephen Von Jett. We'll be sure to include your uh, social media platform, your website, and your contact information in the show notes for today's show. My guest today has been Army Major Stephen Von Jett. He is a public affairs instructor at the Pentagon's Defense Information School. Thanks again for being with us, Major. Absolutely, sir. Thank you. Come back every Friday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for new episodes of Crisis Ahead. Or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. My guest next week will be Aaron Levy, who is the director of FEMA's Individual and Community Preparedness Division. He'll discuss the agency's recommendations for the steps that organizations and businesses can take to prepare for the impact of severe weather and natural disasters. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your agency or company, it's when. And the sooner you're prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.